I think you know that one of my big words is the word discernment. We've been talking about that. In all of our society today, so many things we thought were nailed down forever. Somehow we see the very foundation being uprooted. So we think about times in which we need to know and discern one big word, pregnant word, truth, objective, not subjective, truth. And if all of us would live and operate on the basis of true truth that we have discerned to be there before us, what a different life you'd live and what a different life our families would live, what a different life America would live. I went back and studied for the humpteenth time. That's a new measure of numbers that we use back in the bucolic areas of my life. For the humpteenth time, I've looked at the trial of Jesus. Very interesting. And you get to Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, where Jerusalem was located. He was the ultimate authority. All the charges had been given through the Supreme Court, through Caiaphas, through Herod. And every time Pilate was the bottom line, and four times, read it in the Gospels, he had tried to push Jesus off on somebody else so they would make a decision. And finally, in the Gospel according to John, there in the 18th chapter, we see one of the most interesting dialogues in a court proceeding that I've ever seen. I went back and read it very, very carefully. And the issue was all the religious authorities and secular authorities said, he is claiming to be a king. Now that was diametrically opposed to Caesar, the Roman government who controlled Israel totally at this time. And therefore, Pilate asked Jesus, Young's translation, are you a king? And Jesus said, yes, I'm a king, but I'm not a kingdom right now who's establishing his rule in the world. And then he has a very interesting phrase. I've never read or heard anybody deal with this particular phrase. I don't know why, maybe I missed it. Jesus said, I was born into the world to testify to truth. And then he said, those who live according to truth, he said, those who are of truth, they know that I am testifying to truth. And then Pilate asked a postmodern question. He said, what is truth? He had all the evidence on three different occasions, he said, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. He knew on the basis of truth that Jesus was innocent, totally innocent. But still he said, what is truth? In other words, the postmodern mind said, well, truth is whatever you want it to be. You have your truth, I have my truth. Everything is subjective, everything is up for grabs. So Pilate asked, what is truth? When he knew the truth, 
And then Pilate walked out. He was looking at him who came to witness to the truth, follow me carefully, who embodied the truth, who spoke the truth, who brought to life ultimate objective truth, and Pilate knew that was true. And he said, what is truth? What is truth? That's where we are today in our culture, folks. Every one of our young people been to college in the last 20 years, they were trained indoctrinated that there's no such thing as objective truth. It's all up for grabs. And Pilate asked that postmodern question and he answered it by giving Jesus over to be crucified, even though he knew that objectively he was totally innocent of every charge. You say, well, that was way back there in antiquity. No, that's exactly where we are today. We've been looking at the woke mindset. Let me say something as a thesis. I have looked at wokeism and all the wokies as best as I can, and I can tell you the woke philosophy ideology is totally diametrically opposed to biblical truth. You take their phrases and their terminology and you unpack it as they interpret it and it all sounds good. Who's not for social justice? They have redefined social justice. And you can take every tenant as we looking at it line by line, verse by verse, and you see it's the totally opposite of the biblical understanding of that that sounds so right, so appropriate in our world today. And one big word that they use is the background and the cause of all of our problems. It's capitalism. Oh yes. Capitalism is a source of racism. Capitalism is a source of bigotry. Capitalism is a source of communist language, remember? The oppressed and those who are the oppressors. And the bottom behind is an economic theory of capitalism. And then we say, let's discern and look at socialism slash communism. And then let's look at capitalism. How do we understand this? It's a matter of definition. It's a matter of unpacking these. Well, how do you do that? Remember I recommended you Mama Bear Apologetics, remember? I hope you've ordered that. I hope you begin to read it. It is so on target. It's amazing. And in that book, I had another understanding of discernment. Remember our big word? If you don't have discernment, you're in trouble. Discernment is knowing what is real and what is phony, knowing what is true and knowing what is false. And by the way, it's not hard to know what is true. Somebody said, well, pastor, can you define truth? Yes, I can. Let me give you a definition. Won't be too hard for anybody. If you say what is that it is, and you say what is not that it is not, that's truth. And if you say what is that it is not, and what is not that it is, that's a lie. Truth explained with one-syllable words. Not going too fast for anybody, am I? And so we come and try to unpack truth, and a great methodology is what 
the phrase talks about chew and spit. Oh, chew and spit, another way to discern something. Eating a steak. Texas is known for oil and steak, right? Oil and beef, that's how we're known all around the world, oil and beef. But when you eat steaks here in some places, not 44 farms, not the states of Texas, you know, but different deal. But you go to somebody's house and you eat a steak and once in a while you run into gristle. Now you can chew it till tomorrow and it'll still be, what do we do? What do we talk in all of our highfalutin Texas etiquette? What do we do when we're chewing a steak and we're under gristle? If we are very cultured, we take our napkin, which should have been in your lap, and we very carefully take that gristle and spit it in the napkin and eat the rest of the steak. I'm not going too fast for anybody, am I? That's discernment. We take situations where we're looking for truth to live and act on it, and we run into gristle, and we, we chew that which is good, and we spit that which is not good. So I want to practice that methodology today, not doing any spitting in actuality, in reality, but let's just take the word socialism and chew on it a little bit. Now, I always have to give this disclaimer. We're not going to cover every aspect of socialism, and we're going to leave out some nuances of it. It's not going you, you get that. Somebody, well, you didn't. Well, I'm just going to give you the basic ABC stuff, okay? We'll cover everything about socialism. But let's, what is socialism basically? Socialism basically is the state owns our property. That's socialism. State owns our property. Socialism. And the undergirding philosophy is communism. What is communism? From each according to his ability to each according to his need. Dialectic materialism. It sounds great. It's a utopian concept. And therefore, we know that even in life, Pure communism has never been successful. And in life, pure socialism over a period of time has never been successful. I'll debate anybody on this at another occasion. So we see some illustrations in history. You remember after the Russian Revolution, they established the USSR? That stands for the Union of Soviet Socialistic Republics. They got a lot of good words in there undercovering the word socialism. So they established a socialistic republic in Russia, and we know the catastrophic end of that. You say, well, there have been examples when that's worked. Well, let's go to Sweden. Oh, there's a wonderful country. Read the history of Sweden, ladies and gentlemen. In the 1980s, Sweden was a prosperous country, low taxes, not many people in government, minimum government amount. There was freedom. You could go there and start a business or an enterprise or a career, and you would be successful. It was a very successful country until 1980. Somebody said, well, we need to spread this out equally among everybody. 
And all of a sudden, they had a bigger government. All of a sudden, all these regulations came into being. And then all of a sudden, you see a flattening out of the economy, economy. And by 1990s, Switzerland was in big trouble. And now they have slowly begun to move back into a free market. And the country has been changed. That is current history. Let's go to Venezuela. Well, there's a good example. Venezuela was one of the most prosperous countries in all of South Carolina. South Carolina, South America, same thing. <laughs> all countries there, what happened to Venezuela? And you got Hugo Chavez ran for, to be the leader and said, oh, we need to take all the wealth of Venezuela and just flatten it out, scattered among all the people. And that's exactly what he did. And at first, the head of the Labor Party in Great Britain said, boy, look what Hugo Chavez is doing. That's an example for everybody. What socialism would do, you take for the rich, you get, man, that's a beautiful example. And all the Hollywood elites who know so much about economy, they said, I want to go to Venezuela. And at first, it seemed to be prosperous. It seemed to be working. But just like Margaret Thatcher said, socialism is a wonderful thing until you run out of somebody else's money. And the big word of socialism, it's all free. You see what I'm telling you? It's free, it's free, it's free. But you know, a rat looks at cheese in a trap and the rat says, that cheese looks free to me. Just go get it. That's what happens to socialistic thinking. We go get something that's free, and ladies and gentlemen, there's not a thing on this earth that is free, except the grace of God. <laughs> so here we have all these illustrations of failure. You can go back, for example, to Israel. When, when they first became a nation in 1948, they set up what I call kibbutz, the kibbutz, kibbutzism, and they set up little communities that were purely communistic. Everybody was supposed to work. They scattered them all over Israel. Each one had a Pacific trade, something they made or manufactured or grew. What happened to that? Ask those who tried that experiment in Israel in the beginning days. And they say exactly, it's a paradise for parasites. A paradise for parents. Because all of a sudden, somebody says, you know, I get the same work that I don't have to do anything. <laughs> Can you beat that? And you see what happens in the wokeism that is sponsoring socialism today. Here's what they believe. You can help the poor by destroying the rich. You can strengthen the weak by weakening the strong. You can bring about prosperity by discouraging thrift. You can lift the wage earner by pulling the taxpayer and the taxpayer down. You can further have brotherhood by inviting class hatred. You can build character and courage by taking away a person's initiative. You can help people permanently by doing for them what they can do for themselves. That is woke socialism spelled out for us to see. Now, in case you are still lost and confused about socialism, what it is, let me say again, in simple terms, socialism is you have two cows, C-O-W-S, and the government takes over those two cows 
and the government decides how much milk you get. That is a simple explanation of socialism today and forever. And you see how it creeps in on us? See how it creeps in on us? Our county council tried to vote a budget. Two of the members of the council, they wanted to spend a hunk of our council, of our, of our county budget on powering more constables who would help us with this crisis we have in law and order. No, said the majority. And so they went and said, we want federal help. So we've gone to Washington to bring down federal officers who will help us restore peace and justice and some sense of fighting crime. You say, well, that's good. No, it's not. We could do it for ourselves. And this is a mark of federal control, state control, and look at any revolution you can study in all of history, they always take away the local law enforcement people and they bring in the state law enforcement people. It is another encroachment of the rights and liberty that we have. Boy, that's political. You bet your boots it's political. Because this is what we're dealing with today. More and more federal control of everything and everybody that is socialism. So we're chewing on socialism, and I'd say you spit the whole thing out. Now, let's not be delicate, let's chew on capitalism. What is capitalism? Capitalism is property is owned by the individual. How different. Instead of property owned by the state, it's property owned by the individual. In order to be scholarly, I want to give you a really scholarly definition of capitalism because there's a zillion definitions out there. There's been a zillion books and studies done on what it means. And evidently, those in power in the woke world, they say capitalism is a problem. Let's see what capitalism is. Let's look at the $10 definition of it. Capitalism is an economic system wherein privately owned, relatively well-organized, and stable forms pursue complex commercial activities with a relatively free, unregulated market, taking a systematic long-term approach to investing and reinvesting wealth, directly or indirectly, in productive activities involving a hired workforce and guided by anticipation of actual returns. That's a $10 definition of capitalism. But let me explain it where all of us can understand it. You own two cows, you sell one cow and buy a bull. That's capitalism. <laughs> That's capitalism. So we look at the history of capitalism. Where did it come from? Did it just appear, this form of economic government? No, you can find shadows of it all the way back to Genesis. Oh, have dominion, God said. Be fruitful and multiply. You are stewards over creation. That's the beginning idea. You go all the way through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all this property, is cattle. They begin to do business. Move the Ten Commandments. What's the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. Somebody had to own something and somebody else to take it from. There you see the beginning of capitalism, even back there. 
And the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet. You'll covet what somebody else has under their control. The beginning, the little quicker there of capitalism, all the way through the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament, you come to the parable of Jesus, and there are many of them. Now, I know some people say, well, the New Testament teaches socialism. That's a poor interpretation of that passage in Acts, and I can deal with it. And one other little verse, if you read it by itself without reading the next verse, you know, well, it's teaching. That is totally biblically ignorant. The Bible, the New Testament, does not teach socialism. In fact, you can find the parable of Jesus there in Matthew 25, the parable of the pounds. Remember, the guy was going to leave, and he left three people in charge of his money while he was gone. And so he says, you know, here somebody has five, somebody gives two, somebody has one. And by the way, you see what happens there in that parable. It is very, very interesting. The person who had 10 had five, doubled and had 10. And then you go to the next one and you see the one who was given two, they double it. Now they had four. The one who was given one, he put in a safety deposit box. And when the bastard got back, he said, you gave me a million dollars, here's your million dollars back. What did Jesus say? By the way, this parable, this parable was the basis of the Nobel Prize given for economics in 1990. Long range, short range, use what you got. And Jesus says, These, this ability, these gifts were given out proportionally as to the capacity to those who receive the gifts. That's true of spiritual gifts, it's true of economic gifts. And look what he said about the one guy who didn't use the gift that he had. It, it, it's indeed very, very interesting. He says, you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, the money from him, and get to the one who has 10. And this is it. He says, for to everyone who has more shall be given more. You have some gift, some ability, not just the money. In the area of life, you use that, it'll be multiplied. It'll be multiplied. Then he says, he will have an abundance. But from thee, from the one who does not have, even that which he does have shall be taken away from him. You don't use your talent for singing, it'll be taken away. You don't use your talent for serving, it'll be taken away. If you don't use what we got according to the ability that we have, when we use it, we get more of it. And look at the punishment for this. It says, throw out, throw out the bums. <clears throat> Throw out the worthless money managers in the outer darkness in the place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ladies and gentlemen, the New Testament teaches basic understanding of capitalism. Well, it even appears later in history. When the Roman Empire fell, what happened? St. Benedict established Benedictine, Benedict entities all over Europe, monasteries, and they grew into towns and cities. That is where Capitalism as we know it was based. That's the foundation in a Christian context. You can't argue with history. In that context, all of a sudden they had banking. All of a sudden they had gold and silver coins in a way they'd never seen before. All of a sudden they had the lending of money. All of a sudden they had all the basic understanding of how we do business in America today and in the world today under the auspices of capitalism. It came from those monasteries. Isn't that interesting? And then we go into the 
Enlightenment, we go in the Reformation, and it continued. In fact, the longest-running franchise in business in the world comes from the Benedictine monastery and what they produce, and no Baptist would know what that is. They produce today the best champagne the world has to offer. The longest-running franchise in the world. Capitalism. Two cows. Sell one. Buy a bull. That's the genius today. Well, I don't know about that. Let me tell you something. When something happens in Indonesia and they need funds, do they go to a communist country, a socialistic country? No, no, no. They don't send funds. They go to America. We give away to nonprofits every year over $400 billion in the United States of America. You can't find anybody close to that in the planet. So, I believe, you believe that capitalism gives the ability to have a surplus and to use it. Now, is capitalism perfect? No. Does evil take place through capitalism? Yes. When Nancy Pelosi makes over $30 million last year on the stock market, don't tell me she's that smart. <laughs> That's not hard. If you know what legislation is going to be passed, you know, well, this is going to help this company. You invest. If it's going to fall, you know, and you have that kind of power that is evil in capitalism. So there is areas capitalism can be corrupt. And when somebody is successful in business or in life, if you don't share it going down, you wipe out the middle class. So capitalism has corrupt. So we chew on capitalism and we spit all the bums out who exploit it, right? Let's chew on the church. Did you know most of what goes by church in America today, I would not say is not church. They become three-fourths totally woke in every moral question you did deal with. And even now when the bottom is falling out of America, obviously they're still silent and exegeting the book of Leviticus. Let me show you what happens. I want you to see this chart. I'm going to use it again. Here we are. Here's the Bible at the basis. That's an ocean. There's orthodox truth going up through the ocean. And on the biblical principles, we make decisions with a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview of life. You see, the Bible, truth, choices. And the Bible is tied to the choices we make. We run it through the grid of biblical understanding. That is the body. Now, there's room for some differences up there. You may believe eschatology one way, and I may believe it the other. That's not definitive. But you see the difference? We make our choices on the basis of God's authority, which is over it. What happens when all of a sudden it's cut away? See, now the church is severed from the Bible. They talk the Bible, they pat the Bible, they hold the Bible, but they don't judge their life and the church under the basis of God's word. And all of a sudden, the church is flea floating out there to say, well, I want to be hip. I want to be in accordance with that which the society and the woke world believes. This is what's the problem with the church. Now we wonder what in the world do we do? 
First of all, we stayed tied to the truth of God's eternal, infallible, inerrant word, number one. You cut loose, your opinion is good as my opinion. Your idea is as good as my If we chew there on the church, we see that the church has a chance today to make a difference, a radical difference in this day and age if we'll stand up for God in Christ and live out that truth. Jesus said, I came here to witness to the truth and we take that truth and live it out and all of a sudden we see light coming on in the darkness. Oh, we have a challenge today. I wanna show you a dramatic picture we go back to Florida, show you something. There you have, in northern Florida, a picture of linemen coming from all over America, I think for some 48 different states, waiting until the storm is passed, the storm is still going on, waiting to go into Florida that's dark and turn on the lights. Those are Americans. My daddy was a lineman, Laurel, Mississippi. We had hurricanes in that day down on the Gulf Coast. My daddy would get up, he'd get in a truck with other linemen and we'd go there to the Gulf Coast to try to get the lights back on. Look what's happening. Look what's happening all over America. Thousands of people going to Florida because they care, because they love because they want to bring the lights back on in that state that has been devastated to a swarf right through the nation. You see, this is Christianity in action. This is the church alive. This is Americans being Americans. And it's a miracle of what God does for those who are awake and not woke. We turn lights on everywhere we go. Pray with me if you would.